Evening. Can you hear me? Good start. Okay, welcome to you all. My name's Perna Sen. I am Deputy Director of the Institute of Public Affairs here at the LSE, and I'll be chairing tonight. Let me tell you first why, in my position and at the Institute of Public Affairs, we're hosting this uh, event tonight. And then I'd like to introduce our speaker, Lord Rennick, and he will then tell us about his new book, which I shall wave at you in a moment. Um, at the Institute of Public Affairs, we're hosting a piece of research into women in public life, and we're calling it Above the Parapet. We're looking at women in senior positions in politics, diplomacy, academia, and civil society. And while we know already that there are very few women in many of those sectors across the world, what we don't know so well is how women got there, what they had to deal with to get there, how they found the journey, who helped them, who got in their way, what they had to do to overcome the obstacles. And our project is, is to interview women who've come to seniority in, in, in any of those four sectors and try and capture their journeys into those positions. You may be aware that in October uh, we had uh, former President Joyce Bander of Malawi come to join us for several days. Time to reflect, time for me to interview her for days on end, um, and for us to open our project with a, a launch at which she gave a lecture. We've been interviewing diplomats, ambassadors, senior politicians, professors. We're about to interview heads of universities, and we have also interviewed heads of civil society organizations, and it's absolutely fascinating. If you want to look more at what we're doing, you can have a role, you can suggest who we should speak to, what questions you think we should ask, and we'd be happy to hear from you. So um, do take a look at Above the Parapet on the LSE IPA website. If you want to ask any more questions, Daria is here who's worked on the project, and she'll be able to tell you more about it. And it's because of that interest in women in senior public life, in particular in political life, that we're delighted tonight to be able to say welcome to Lord Rennick, who will talk to us tonight um, about his new book. But I have to just note that it's not a, a sudden, uh, recent interest you have, Lord Rennick, in uh, senior and powerful women. You've written previously uh, on Margaret Thatcher and on Helen Sussman. And uh, I look very much, very much look forward to hearing what you have to say about Hillary tonight. We had a, a great lecture last week, as I was telling you, Lord Rennick, by Professor Sue Carroll, who talked to us last week about women in politics in the USA, and of course Hillary came up in that conversation. So it would be great to hear tonight about uh, a portrait of a president-in-waiting, and I said I would wave the book at you. Um, this is Lord Rennick's new book, and he will be available to sign copies of it at the end of the lecture. Is that right? Yes, sure. And they're, they're on sale out there somewhere. Um, so Lord Rennick asked me not to say too much about his bio and not read it at length, but just to note uh, that he was ambassador, a UK's ambassador in the US when the Hillary, when the Clintons, when the Hillary's, when the Clintons arrived at the White House. There's a slip, and so he uh, was there at a very interesting time, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, hearing what he has to say about Hillary. Uh, Lord Rennick, you want to speak for a little while, and then we'll open up for questions and discussion after. Over to you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you very much indeed for that uh, introduction. Thank you very much for coming to this meeting. And um, as um, Dr. Sen has said, I've written uh, three books, one about Margaret Thatcher, one about Helen Sussman, one about Hillary Clinton, about women in public life. Now, why should you be interested in women in public life who've been successful in public life? Never forget what Ginger Rogers said when somebody asked her if she could dance as well as Fred Astaire. Her reply was, everything he did, I could do backwards in, and in high heels. <laughs> now, why write a book right now about Hillary? Well, the last, this is the only up-to-date study of Hillary because the last biographies of her <clears throat> were written seven or eight years ago when she was running against Obama. And that leaves out a huge chunk of the history of Hillary, uh, her period in the Senate, but especially her period as Secretary of State. 
Now, if you want to learn about her period of Secretary of State the hard way, you should buy her book, which is called Hard Choices. It's 500 pages long. It was written by a committee. It's been described by the U.S. press as pure chloroform because she doesn't say anything controversial in it because that might affect her presidential campaign. Um, but it is full of information, actually, so it's not to be neglected, but it is hard choices. It is, frankly, quite hard work. Uh, I hate books which, when you drop them on your foot, you're limping for a week. You know? So I never write any myself that are more than 200 pages long. Now, what this tries to do, uh, I got to know her quite well when she arrived in Washington and so on. Uh, it, it, it's a portrait of her, of her character, her personality, her beliefs. Um, you know, um, will she run? Can she win? And above all, what, what would she be like as a president if she got there? Now, you know, there are, there are Hillary Lenz is very, very earnest, Hillary. I mean, she's the only Secretary of State who has ever launched something known as a Global Clean Cook Stove Initiative. She, you know, which she takes very seriously because it's true you know, that you want to try and stop burns occurring and you know, all these cases in developing countries where that kind of thing, where that kind of stove is used. But this lends itself to parody, and she has been quite brutally caricatured from time to time. In private, she's actually quite chatty, humorous, and friendly. In public, she used to freeze and lecture. Now, that's evolved, and you know she's considerably better than she used to be from that point of view. And contrary to belief, she does have a sense of humour. You know, when the when the new head of MI6 was becoming head of MI6, his wife unfortunately had posted uh, a picture of him online in a bathing suit. And when Hillary bumped into him at the United Nations, she greeted him with the words, nice legs. <laughs> now, you know, the, this is a tale of two Hillarys, because just as Bill Clinton periodically reinvented himself, you know, if he drifted too far to the left, there was, you know, in about 15 minutes, he bobbed up in the center right or somewhere very centrist indeed. So has Hillary. And I'm sure that somebody here will be able to tell me uh, the first presidential candidate she threw herself into campaigning for. I don't know if there are any guesses, but it was, of course, Barry Goldwater, the ultra-Republican opponent of of President Johnson. And that was because her father was a self-made small businessman and an ardent Republican. Uh, but she was an absolutely standout high school student, uh, offered places at Smith College and Wellesley. And to her alarm, to his alarm, he discovered that she had started, once she got to Wellesley, where she was president of the Young Republicans, to his alarm, she started reading the New York Times. And from his point of view, it was downhill all the way from there. So she turned into a feminist activist student at Wellesley, Uh, And she made a famous graduation speech, which was completely incoherent, actually, uh, but in the course of which she said that it was, you know, that that she and her her fellow students uh, didn't have any sort of empathy or sympathy for prevailing corporate life. They wanted something more ecstatic. Uh, This found its way into Life magazine. (laughs) As her mother said, opinion was equally divided between who do you think you are, and she spoke for a generation. Anyhow, this was not a surprising phenomenon because, you know, the time she was at Wellesley and the time she was at Yale, this was the period in which successively the assassinations of John F. Kennedy, you know, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King and the Kent State shootings. So, you know, she was on the radical side of politics, both at Wellesley and Yale. She was never an ultra-radical. And for your amusement, when years later, as a friend of Tony Blair, she was invited over here, and she, she switched on her TV and watched the Labour Party conference, she was absolutely horrified because all the speakers were addressing each other as comrade. So she's no ultra-leftist, Hillary, and she wasn't even then. 
Now, in, at Yale, she met Bill Clinton, who at the time was... was you, there are some wonderful photographs in this book. You know, he's huge, shaggy hair, Elvis sideburns. And she, at the time, was making herself deliberately unattractive. You know, she refused to compete on the same terms as all these smart, you know, East Coast dames at Wellesley. So she wore baggy clothes and, you know, thick, really thick glasses. And there's a wonderful picture at the beginning of this of her of her and Bill in that sort of attire. Now, how did they meet? It's a classic Bill Clinton story. You know, she was in the library and he was staring at her. <clears throat> Persistently, so only Hillary, only Hillary would have reacted as she did. She marched across the library to him and said, "Since you keep staring at me and I keep looking back, I'd better, we'd better introduce ourselves. I'm Hillary Rodham," she said. Now this this saved him from having to use his usual approach tactic, and his usual approach tactic, as he confirmed to me, was always to say, "You are reading my favourite book." <laughs> Actually, he was very well read, Clinton, and you know, he, he, he had very often read the book the lady he was approaching was reading. Uh, just one other Clinton story before I move on to her. When he was at Oxford, um, dodging the draft, but among other things, but many other people did that, including George W. Bush, um, Germaine Greer came to give a lecture at Oxford to the Union, and he was at the Union. And she had a you know, shock of frizzy hair and was wearing a, a midi skirt, according to Clinton, you know, slashed to the thigh, looked very attractive as far as he could see. Anyhow, in the course of her speech, she declared that she was no longer interested in, in sex with middle-class intellectuals, only blue-collar workers would do. To which Clinton replied, I mean, sorry, a voice from the back of the hall said, but Miss Greer, won't you give us one last chance? <laughs> was the future president of the United States. <laughs> now, she then took the huge gamble. I mean, Hillary was passionate about everything, including him, and she took the huge gamble of going to Arkansas with him, regarded by her friends as the absolute pits. Uh, and the one who drove her there stopped every five miles to try to persuade her to turn back, saying, you know, you're out of your mind. And when she got there, you know, he got himself elected as governor, and she became, you know, something very peculiar in the South, a feminist first lady. She insisted on calling herself Hillary Rodham, and to this day, she is not Hillary Clinton. She is Hillary Rodham Clinton, and anybody who forgets it, you know, uh, is reminded of it. Uh, and she became, you know, unpopular because she was regarded as, as, as a sort of pushy lady and so on. But she was determined to improve education in the state. Arkansas had the worst educational record in the United States, and she did. She did succeed in improving it. Now, Clinton, as governor, was a leader at the time of a group of Democrats who wanted to break the Republican hold on the White House and who described themselves as New Democrats. One or two of you may have heard of New Labour. Don't think it was a new idea. It was an old idea. It was cribbed from the New Democrats. And when it came to the election against Bush, most people were convinced that Bush had, after all, you know, done the world a great service by winning the first Gulf War, the good Gulf War. Um, you know, was thought to be unbeatable, not least by our own government here in London. And the, the candidates against him were known at the time to the US press as the Seven Dwarves. And I was in the embassy at the time, and looking at the Seven Dwarves, it did seem to us in the embassy that the only one who, who actually <coughs> sounded sensible and reasonable and more interesting than the others was Bill Clinton. So with me in the embassy, there was Jonathan Powell, who some of you will have heard of. He writes these books about negotiating with, with terrorists and so on. He, he did actually play a very important role in negotiating with the IRA. And we, we assigned him to the Clinton bus in New Hampshire, because as a candidate in the U.S., you start out in a bus. Uh, and then he, he then graduated to the Clinton plane. And I kept in touch with the Clinton foreign policy team because you always need to, to do that. I mean, people, when they're out of office, remember if you stay in touch with them. And they also remember if you don't stay in touch with them. So when, um, you know, we, we, we did cover the Clinton campaign, in the course of it, uh, they had, the two of them had to give this famous interview on 60 Minutes, picture also in the book, 
where uh, Clinton was rumoured to have had, not just rumoured, um, affairs with a number of ladies in Arkansas, including a cabaret artist called Jennifer Flowers. His team managed to get all of these ladies to sign affidavits saying that they hadn't had a fling with the governor, but the media didn't really believe them. So they had to appear on 60 Minutes, and the interviewer asked if uh, Clinton had committed adultery. He refused to answer the question, but he admitted causing pain in their marriage. And Hillary made a huge faux pas. She's uh, the... The interviewer said, well, you seem to have come to some understanding or arrangement. And she said, no, 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 it's not an understanding or arrangement. I'm not just standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. You know, I really loved him and so on. Now, that caused her to have to apologize first to Tammy Wynette and then so on. The next folk are, she was accused of a conflict of interest over her work for the Rose Law Firm, which was the leading law firm in Arkansas, and her husband as governor. And, of course, there was, to some degree, a conflict. But she said, you know, I I could have just stayed at home and had teas, but I chose to... Uh, follow my profession instead. That went down extremely badly with you know a few million stay-at-home mothers. Um, and finally, Bill Clinton compounded their problems by saying that if you know if you elect me, you get two for the price of one, meaning yeah, Hillary is co-president. So, so they went from gaff to gaff, but but they were saved by George Bush, who was wonderful president when it came to foreign policy. But you know he was no good at domestic policy. I'll, I'll never forget meeting the Reagan organizer in California. Um, you know, under, under Reagan and in California voted en bloc for Reagan. He told me Bush is going to lose California by a long way uh, because he said George Bush knows more about Kuwait than California and he cares more about Kuwait as well. <laughs> so that resulted obviously in, in a Clinton win in the election, much actually to, to his surprise because he was really kind of running to win next time. Um, so when they won the election, the great Washington hostess Catherine Graham invited them to dinner, and I, you know, I met them at this dinner and lots of hugs from Hillary because we'd kept in touch with them during the campaign and so on. She then moved into the West Wing of the White House, which no First Lady ever does, because the West Wing, as you know, is the policy nerve centre of the White House, as in her view his principal policy advisor, and he put her in charge of health care reform. And after six months, she produced a bill 1,031 pages long, um, immensely complicated, um, and with no costing attached to it. Uh, And she tried, uh, at this stage, she firmly believed they'd been elected with a mandate. Actually, the only way they got elected was because Ross Perot siphoned off quite a lot of votes from Bush. So they were elected with actually 43% of the vote, uh, which she took as much more of a mandate than it was. And she didn't understand Washington at all. These senators, you know, are elected for six years. They're really tough guys, and they're very crusty um, guys. And they they listen to their constituents. Uh, they don't listen to the White House. You know, it's a, the White House has to, has to spend its entire life persuading people to do things, which, by the way, the current incumbent is no good at. Uh, anyhow, this resulted in a... In, Hillary crashing and burning because the whole thing collapsed and had to be called off. And meanwhile, the press were hounding her about the Rose Law Firm and also about their investment in the Whitewater real estate company. Uh, And Hillary, who was paranoid about the press anyway, didn't trust them, mutual distrust, kept refusing to hand over all the documents. Uh, She only wanted to hand over the documents which were show them in a good light. Uh, That is hopeless in Washington. In the end, every single document comes out. And, you know, she was getting a very bad press at this time, and her ratings were really quite poor. And guess what she was rescued by, or who she was rescued by? She was rescued by Monica Lewinsky. Because when that saga happened, you know, when this all went public, uh, at first... You know, her husband lied comprehensively to her 
and when she was asked on TV what this case was all about, she said it's a vast right-wing conspiracy. (laughs) Three months later, of course, she had to confess that uh, indeed there was something more than that to it. And she was appalled and humiliated, and she certainly really thought about dumping him, as many of her friends were urging her to do, Uh, But in the end, she did stand by him. And in doing so, she earned a lot of sympathy, which she deserved, and and more respect than she'd had before. Uh, She had, meanwhile, recycled herself as first lady, so she was attending funerals and traveling around the world and and so on, which she did very competently. Uh, But she was then approached to run for the Senate in New York, and she decided to do so, which was a gutsy call at the time, because the, the candidate against her was going to be Rudy Giuliani, the mayor of New York, the very successful mayor of New York. Now, New York is actually normally a democratic state, but not always. There have been you know, governors, Republican governors. But Giuliani was a formidable candidate, uh, and she took the risk of running against him. And Giuliani, to everybody's surprise, pulled out of the race in the middle for health reasons, and she won quite easily. In the Senate, she did reinvent herself. What this did for her was the strike against her, the main strike against her, always was, you're not elected. What, what makes you think you're entitled to chair the Committee on Health Care Reform or to interfere in policy? Now, this cured this point. And in the Senate, she didn't uh, do what her counterparts expected her to do, which was behave like a prima donna, no grandstanding. She worked hard. She was very pragmatic. She was very centrist. She was pro-Israel, where she had been rather pro-Palestine. And she managed to make quite a few uh, friends on the other side of the aisle, including uh, among the Republican senators, John McCain. And she voted for the Iraq War, the second Iraq War, partly because she saw Saddam Hussein as evil and wanted to get rid of him, partly because of the intelligence she was shown, which of course turned out to be wrong about chemical and biological weapons, and partly, I suspect, because she wanted to show (coughs) that she was tough on national security. Now, there followed the presidential campaign against Barack Obama, and she started as the massive favorite But she was damaged by her stance on Iraq, which really (coughs) hurt with the left wing of the party. And she found that she was running not against a candidate, but against a cult. And Barack Obama claimed that she was too divisive, though he had actually the most left wing voting record in the Senate himself. He kept making uplifting speeches about a nation healed, a world repaired, and quotes the fierce urgency of now. Now, Hillary's a very down-to-earth person. What what on earth does that mean, she wanted to know, but it didn't do her any good. Um, At the end, she lost by a tiny margin, 150,000 votes out of 36 million. Uh, And she said at the end of this campaign, the glass ceiling has 18 million cracks in it. The Iraq vote had cost her the presidency because she too would have beaten John McCain, who I used to know quite well, and he's a very talented and interesting person, but he's decidedly erratic, as he showed when he chose Sarah Palin as his running mate, (laughs) to the amazement of all his Republican colleagues. To her surprise, Obama very shrewdly asked her to be his Secretary of State. No doubt in part, you know, why did he do that? In part, it was to make sure that she didn't run against him next time. You know, he didn't want a primary battle four years' time. And she put up a very good performance as Secretary of State, meticulously consulting the Allies, even when they drove her crazy. She wouldn't tolerate any leaks or briefing against Obama. There were no spectacular achievements, but she well and truly passed the Rudyard Kipling test of earning the respect of her peers, including the respect of the of the most important of her cabinet colleagues, who were Bob Gates, the defense secretary, and Leon Panetta, head of the CIA. Hillary's tough, as she showed in her dealings with Pakistan. When the media there were accusing the US of everything they could think of, she put up with it, you know, endless barrage of harassment and, and these interviews she was giving, until she said, 
by, she responded by asking them about the whereabouts of the Al-Qaeda leaders and saying very undiplomatically, we know perfectly well they're in Pakistan. As senator for New York, she visited Lower Manhattan in the immediate aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, her lungs full of acrid smoke, firefighters still staggering from the wreckage, and for months after that, she was visiting her constituents in hospital, often with terrible burns. There was never any doubt what Hillary would do if she got the chance to help rid the world of bin Laden. So when they were having their secret meetings in the White House about bin Laden and somebody said, we have to be careful about the Pakistani sense of honour, her response was, what about our honour? And when the when somebody, when they decided that they were going to conduct this operation on the same, somebody, one of the domestic policy advisers, uh, pointed out that it was the same night as the White House correspondence dinner and it might not look good if the president was telling jokes at the White House correspondence dinner in Washington or had to leave early. Hillary used... Um, told everybody in the clearest possible terms, which you'll find in the book, unrepeatable here, what she thought of the White House correspondence dinner, to the delight of Gates and the military. Uh, Also, you'll find in the book a picture of her watching the raid, you know, with her hand over her mouth, looking anxious. And typically, because she's she's surrounded by a fiercely loyal entourage, her times are wildly overprotective, and they, they thought she looked anxious, so they tried to her, her press spokesman suggested that it was because she had hay fever. It was absolute rubbish. She looked anxious because she was anxious. And in the book, she does say, this picture captures how I felt. Uh, once, once they had succeeded in killing Bin Laden, Obama rang up every former president to tell them, and when he got to Bill Clinton... He started by saying, I assume Hillary's told you. Bill Clinton had no idea what he, was, what, what he was talking about. She'd been told not to tell anybody, and she didn't bother telling her husband. She then helped to get rid of Gaddafi, only for Libya then to fall into anarchy, and to find herself blamed for the killing in, in Benghazi by Islamic militants of the U.S. ambassador. She supported the reset which was the attempt to improve relations with Russia. And that worked well up to a point, as long as Medvedev was the president in Russia, but not, as she warned Obama, it wasn't going to work with Putin. She, she analyzes Putin absolutely correctly. Putin sees power politics as a zero-sum game in which you're either winning or you're losing. And if the U.S. is strong, that means Russia is weak and Russia needs to get stronger at the expense of the U.S. and everybody else. And she was absolutely horrified when Obama drew a, quotes, red line against the use of chemical weapons by the regime in Syria and then backed down on that threat when the Republican Guard launched, launched a poison gas attack that killed 1,400 people in Damascus. And she was equally appalled that the British House of Commons then voted against the British take, making any, taking any action in response. Now, the memoirs of, you know, of, of Gates, the Defence Secretary, and Leon Panetta, <clears throat> who are both tough guys, both confirm the highly dysfunctional nature of foreign policy decision-making under Obama, which she still deliberately masks in her own memoir, and which is now more than ever apparent with the resignation of Chuck Hagel as the Defense Secretary. And the picture that emerges from these memoirs is of a president who's the opposite to George Bush, who didn't really want to do domestic policy, This president doesn't really enjoy doing foreign policy. He doesn't want to be involved in Iraq or Afghanistan, in a sense, who can blame him? But on the other hand, there's a White House staff engaged in attempting micromanagement of all of the above. From these memoirs, the president comes across as aloof and semi-detached, and the result has been a hesitant and belated response to Russian aggression in Ukraine and to the Islamic state atrocities in the Middle East. Uh, No one, believe me, can accuse Hillary of being 
semi-detached, and she has started distancing herself from a banner on foreign policy. She's also been suggesting that she might be better at actually getting things done. She's made a full-blown apology for her vote in favour of the Iraq war, uh, but she has been campaigning for clearer American leadership. Uh, There is a debate in America uh, that's been going on, intensified over the last few months, under the heading, Superpowers Don't Get to Retire. And Kissinger, in response to the Islamic State uh, (coughs) atrocities, made a full-blown intervention saying that if you're a superpower and a bunch of jihadists cut off the heads of two American citizens on primetime television, you do not wait five weeks, as the Obama administration did, before you do something about it. Now, the Obama Obama administration, which has found, had found, that America was indeed understandably weary of involvement in places like Iraq and Afghanistan and so on, and therefore really did, you know, there was was support for doing as little as possible in terms of (coughs) other involvements abroad. That has reversed itself, thanks to ISIS, thanks to the Islamic State, and the polls very clearly show that the bulk of Americans agree with Kissinger. So will Hillary run? The answer to that is obvious. She's running already. You don't spend your time eating steak fries in Iowa unless you're running. (laughs) Um, The the choice to her is not whether to run, it's whether to stop running. Uh, She will have a uh, you know, a huge medical examination you know, in the new year, and all the results of that these days have to be published. And she did, of course, she was quite seriously ill through, uh, when she, at, uh, at the end of her time as Secretary of State, and she fell in her bathroom and got suffered from concussion, really bad concussion. But there's no evidence that I know of that she's really ill now. Now, in the midterm elections, as you know, the president's popularity is low, so the Democratic candidates who are at risk, none of them asked him to campaign for them, but they did ask the Clintons to campaign for them. The results were, you know, as you also know, I mean, there's a Republican tide running in America at the moment, so the result has been that they won the control of the Senate as well as the House of Representatives. And the Democrats badly need her to run to start staging the comeback they hope to stage. And there's no cult figure this time, really, um, apart from her. There is a left-wing leader called Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, uh, who's very critical of Hillary. She she regards him her as elitist, much too cosy with Wall Street, out of touch with ordinary Americans, and, you know, a Republican in foreign policy. Uh, She would love to run against her, but her chances, if she did run against Hillary, don't look to be very good. You've then got a bunch of possible candidates, most of whom won't run against her. Andrew Cuomo in New York, uh, Rahm Emanuel in Chicago, and her successor in New York, who, by the way, will run for president one day, Kirsten Gillibrand. Um, Joe Biden you know, keeps saying that he can't see why he can't be president, but he's 74 years old already. And when he ran for president on one previous occasion, uh, he, had to, he had to stop because he was found to plagiarize the speech by, of all people, Neil Clinock. So he's got a bit of baggage attached to him, and he's certainly not going to be a convincing candidate. So if she runs, Hillary will win the Democratic uh, nomination. But what about the presidency? Now, you know, age is a, is a factor. You know, she's 67. You're supposed to, it's an 18-month campaign. You're supposed to run up and down, uh, you know, airline steps and look, you know, youthful and feisty and so on. And if she, you know, she's not very good at pacing herself. It's the same, she's exactly the same age as Reagan when he ran. But Reagan imposed a lot less stress on himself than Hillary does and also had naps in the afternoon and spent more time in the gym. You know, so he wasn't, by the way, any less effective as a president for that. Uh, so obviously you know, it's anything but a shoo-in for her. You know, if she had a fainting fit on the campaign trail, if she suddenly you know, started getting ill and so on, all of that would be hugely exploited against her. And not only that, 
Rupert Murdoch patronizingly has very kindly said that he could live with Hillary as president. But that's not going to stop Fox News attacking her every single day for the next 18 months for everything they can think of. Now, there's also, um, you know, they're going to attack her about Bill Clinton all over again. Benghazi, elitist, out of touch, hasn't been seen in a greasy spoon diner for the last, you know, 20 years. And her friends are, you know, Emma Winter or whoever it is. So the, the, the Republican tide is running strongly, but the Republicans are divided. The moderate Republicans are denounced by the, by the fundamentalists as rhinos. That means Republicans in name only. And as for the Tea Party, if you ask Senator McConnell, the new Senate Majority Leader, about the Tea Party, he will say, oh, you mean the Taliban. And that's what he calls them, <laughs> not only in private. Uh, you have got you know, one leading Republican who's, a, who's an ultra-libertarian Rand Paul, who's against drone strikes and anyone listening to our phones in, in order to try and identify terrorists. But he's regarded as a kind of crypto-isolationist by the international wing of the party. You will have heard all about Jeb Bush. He actually had a very good record in Florida on, on education. He's pro-immigration reform. He could be a good president if he could get past the right wing of his party and the associations, you know, relating to, you know, his brother. But, you know, he, he, he could well be a good president if he got there, but he, you know, he'd have to get adopted first, and it's not clear that he can get adopted by the Republican Party at the moment. If he did, you would have the hilarious spectacle of the world's, you know, supposedly greatest republic with two dynastic characters, arguing, both of them multimillionaires, arguing with each other about the, the forgotten middle class and inequality. And Hillary, Hillary just doesn't see any irony in accepting $200,000 to make a speech at Yale about inequality. So, <clears throat> Um, now that is, that is there she is she is vulnerable you know because if, if the Republicans did come up with a really effective populist candidate you know the attack on Hillary that hurts is you are out of touch you know for the last 24 years you've been living a sort of elitist existence and you know your your friends we all know who they are around the world and so on but you know how many genuine Americans do you actually know these days other than the New York glitterati? Uh, and it was, it was Chris Christie, who was the sort of uh, heavyweight, in fact, seriously overweight governor of New Jersey, <laughs> who he's still massive despite his gastric band uh, ventures, uh, who could have caused her problems because he's that kind of guy. Uh, but as you know, his, his assistants closed the Washington Bridge for a while to people coming from Fort Lee across the river because he didn't, you know, the governor didn't like the mayor of Fort Lee, so that's going to take a bit of a living down. There are other candidates, you know, there's, there's a guy called Mike Huckabee who just might help to unite them. But the demographics favor Hillary. You know, the, the Republicans always win among white males, but there are not enough of us to go around. You know, they're, they're running out of white males. Women voters usually vote Democrat because of the zany Republican position on abortion, which is against it in principle but not in practice, but they still have to commit to being against it in, in principle. And then among black voters, it's 90% it's Democrats, 10% Republicans. And among Hispanic voters, it has been two to one. Now, that is where, obviously, Jeb Bush, who is popular with Hispanic voters in Florida, and Marco Rubio, who is the, you know, the senator from Florida, you know, if they were the candidates, could could uh, win some Hispanic votes. Certainly, the Republicans need to win some Hispanic votes if they're to win the the um, the presidential election. And what um, Obama has done by legalizing five million <coughs> illegal immigrants, yeah, he hasn't given them the vote, but he has obviously appealed very much to the Hispanic community, who are pleased about the legalization um, of their compatriots. So, you know, the, is she certain to win? Anything but. This is a long, exhausting 18-month campaign. She's vulnerable on elitism, as I've said. She does, when, when Hillary makes a mistake, it's usually not a small one. When she was in Massachusetts 
three weeks ago, pandering to the left wing. Uh, she said she, was, she launched an attack on trickle-down economics in the course of which she said, and I quote, don't let anyone tell you that corporations and businesses create jobs. Now, just think about that for a minute. That quote is going to be stuffed down her throat, you know, for a long time to come, because as a matter of fact, businesses do create jobs. And this suggests that she believes that governments create jobs, which uh, the only jobs they create are in the civil service. Um, so, you know, there is always some danger of a possible reversion to a younger, shriller, more abrasive version of herself, and she isn't actually all that good on economics. I mean, she, when she, she, she holds these um, meetings <clears throat> um, about with business, you know, business forums, she calls them, but they're mostly about the, the issues she cares about, which is sort of gender equality, climate change, and so on. They're not really about job creation. Um, but all of that said, um, she would be a tough-minded defender of U.S. interests, I can assure you, which is why kissing her said, even though all my friends are Republicans, she'd be a good president. It's why General Petraeus said she would be a really good president. And not only that, I mean, if, to, to give you an example of how, how Hillary approaches things, take climate change. She does care about climate change. She's anything but the climate change denier. She sees it as a really important issue. But, 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 she's not going to give India and China a free ride. She thinks that the European Union has made a, a ridiculous mistake by committing to all kinds of draconian restrictions on, on manufacturing in Europe without putting effective pressure on India and China to make a, a real effort themselves. And of course, if you do that, not only do you not actually, in the end, reduce the emissions very much, but you give, you know, you, you, you put yourself at a competitive disadvantage. And the climate change episode in this book is quite revealing, where she and Obama literally gate-crashed a meeting with the Chinese and said, we're not going to commit unless there is some, some degree of commitment from you. Uh, she would try much harder than Obama to reach some sort of accommodation with some of the, some of the moderate Republicans. Um, Obama is, a, is an interesting, you know, obviously an extremely talented, extremely intelligent, but rather professorial person. And as one of his Democratic congressmen said to me, being rung up, rung up by Obama is rather like receiving what he described as a robocall. That's been a recorded message. You don't, you know, there's not much give and take. Hillary's an Anglophile. She really likes this country, its inhabitants. She was introduced to it by Bill, who took her all over the place to, um, and actually proposed to her the first time round here. Uh, she, she has a lot of empathy for this country. She, as I told you, Tony Blair, she was very keen on. She was a bit disappointed when he became so cosy with George W. Bush, but she's forgiven him. She was a strong supporter of new labor. Uh, in, the, in the war between the Milibans, you'll find her definitely in the David rather than the Ed camp in terms of psychology. She wasn't pleased with our performance over Syria, and she doesn't agree with somebody like Ed Miliband about Gaza, where she thinks the main problem... I mean, she really dislikes Netanyahu um, and you know, thinks the settlement program on the West Bank is a disaster, but she also thinks that the, <coughs> the principal cause of the misery in Gaza is Hamas. We shouldn't imagine, because of her affection for us, that she would do a lot of special favours for us, but she would, uh, you know, in terms of the argument about Britain and Europe, she would try very hard to help keep this country in the European Union, not for our reasons, but for her reasons. She wants British influence in favour of open markets, in favour of a best possible relationship with the United States and so on. So what's the conclusion of all this? Well, she currently very obviously has a better chance than anyone else of becoming the next president. Her whole campaign is ready to go. It's called Ready for Hillary. She's also got super PACs, political action committees, which can raise money, you know, not formally attached to the candidate, and which are also all ready to go. Uh, in case anybody makes any criticisms of her whatsoever, there's another organization called Correct the Record, which immediately responds the next morning. Uh, Emily's List 
is designed this time to rally the entire sisterhood behind her. And last time she, she said she wasn't running as a woman. This time she's going to sort of, I think, make more play of that, of shattering the glass ceiling. Um, you know, I've described her character and personality, I think, um, but a very important thing about that is that she's much more at home in her skin now than she was in her earlier days when she was a sort of adjunct to Bill Clinton. She's very different today. She's much less nervous with the press. When she was asked the other day, aren't you afraid if you run, what about the invasion of your privacy? She, she laughed and said, well, what privacy is the left? And she's right about that. Now, I have to say that my personal opinion, and I know her reasonably well, is that if she did get to, pre to be a president, to be president, the first female president, she would not be a bad president. And certainly in foreign policy, she would not be a bad president. And I think if you ask her counterparts around the world, it's very hard to find anybody other than the Russians who have anything bad to say about her, which is quite a tribute to her performance as Secretary of State. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, if, if you have some questions, I'd be delighted to take Sir. Yes, sir. Okay. I'll take questions in threes if that's okay. Okay, fine. Great. Lots and lots of material there, I think, to pick up on, and I shall restrain myself and let you go first. Do we have mics? Yeah. So if I come to you first, sir, could you just say who you are before you ask your oh, yes. question? Uh, my name's Mark Browers. I'm actually from the States. So um, I've got uh, one, uh, two questions, actually. Historically, Democrats only go for two terms. So it would be unusual for a Democrat to, to come in on the third round. And the second part is, um, what, what is going to be her position on the relatively unpopular health care plan in the States at the moment? Thank, Thank you. you. Anybody else? All right, we'll, we'll do near you here. If we could take this gentleman here, and then you, and, and then I'm going to take three women in the next round. Be ready. Paul Richardson, I was, uh, uh, I didn't know him, but I was a contemporary of Bill Clinton in student days. Um, I wonder if I can ask, you didn't mention China and the tilt to Asia. What's, what's her relationship with the Chinese like? How does she think America should play the relationship with China? Thank you. And somebody behind you. Yeah, blue jumper. Thanks. My name is Vincenzo. I just wondered, from your view of Hillary, um, obviously presidents, certainly on the Democratic end, tend to run with a specific mission or story that they're trying to get across. I'm thinking about uh, Bill Clinton with modernization, Obama with change. Given that everyone will already think they know Hillary Clinton after 2008, uh, the 2008 bid and before, uh, how does she answer the question of what's different? So I think that's actually the critical question for her. Thank you. Okay, fine. Um, all, all very good questions. On, on the two-term phenomenon, um, of course the Republicans had three terms, ending with, with, with George Bush. It doesn't always go two terms, and Carter had just one. Um, so, but you're right. I mean, you know, there is a Republican tide flowing, and, and this relates to your question also. The Republicans will be trying to tar her as Obama third term. Now, if she gets really tired with that brush, she's going to lose because, you know, he has lost traction. People just have stopped listening to him and so on. And your, your question is a very good one because, you know, she's got to project a message, and it's got to be a positive message. You know, it can't just be, I can do this job better than the other guy. Uh, and that's got to be different from Obama. So she's got to sort of, she, she's really got to, part of it will be that I believe, you know, she'll be saying, I believe that I can work with moderate Republicans to get things done in Washington. You know, we've got to stop all this just sort of shouting at each other and, and you know, constant guerrilla warfare. By the way, important point about that is everybody on this side of the Atlantic and every newsman here deplores gridlock in Washington. Most Americans like gridlock in Washington. You know, Ronald Reagan used to say there are two really serious threats to the United States. One, the first is Moscow, and the second is Washington. So not everybody is against gridlock in Washington. 
Uh, on the health plan, she will defend it, you know, the essence of it, to the death. You know, that's, you know, she, she accepts fully. This is Obama's great legacy. It's an insurance scheme, of course, as you well know. It's anything but the NHS. And why is it unpopular? I mean, it's, it's unpopular because at the end of the day, you know, if you do extend your health care plans near universally, they end up being more expensive. I mean, you know, for the average American, they're going to have to pay more, and they're not always able to use the same providers they were using before, even though that was promised to them at the beginning, and then there were the rollout problems as well. But Hillary is not going to give up on that, and she's not going to compromise on that. That's a, a sort of core belief for her. On China, another good question. I mean, she, she started off with Obama, you know, tilt towards Asia, we need to pay more attention to Asia. Uh, when Obama made his first visit to China, um, it, he, they, some of his associates did so in the naive belief that you could create a kind of G2 relationship with China, that these two you know, superpowers would get together and manage things around the world. The Chinese are just not interested in that. And as, as Hillary tried to visit Asia more often... Um, her, her favorite Chinese official said to her, you know, she, she wrote this article about the pivot to Asia. You know what he said to her? He said, why don't you pivot out of here? Meaning, meaning get out of the South China Sea. You know, we, we want to pursue our interests in the South China Sea without any help from the U.S. 7th Fleet. Thank you very much. And so on. So that relationship... Um, you know, and it has to be managed. She would, she would set about trying to manage it as best she can, uh, as everybody else has done. But, but the tilt hasn't really worked out that well. And, and America's allies in, in, in the Pacific, as in the Middle East, have been disconcerted by Obama's reluctance, they feel at times, to sort of really back them up. I mean, there have been one or two incidents in the South China Sea where you know, the president of the Philippines was very upset because he thought you know, the Americans had reached an agreement that some Chinese, Chinese vessels exploring there would be withdrawn. When the Chinese failed to withdraw them, the U.S. didn't do anything about it. So she would try to reassure her allies in the area. She would try to do deals with the Chinese. Um, but you know, the idea of the sort of tilt has not worked out as it was planned to do, frankly. Thank you. Okay, second round. We're going up to the back now. <laughs> so, woman in white at the back, and then pale blue. Yeah, and the lady at the back. But as long as they both get to. Fellow okay. North American accent and a Wellesley grad. Um, the average American voter wasn't ready for a female president when um, Barack Obama beat Hillary. Do you think that the average American voter um, is sufficiently ready for a female president today, or is Hillary some sort of unusual hybrid? Uh, you know, she's obviously not at the Sarah Palin end of femininity. She's probably more at the Angela Merkel. <laughs> they took me back. Hi, I'm Carolyn. Um, I have two small questions, I guess. First of all, you mentioned that she always keeps like quite a loyal group of people around her. I'd just be interested in how many people those are, like how long she's worked with them, and you know whether it's more on a personal level or whether it's more one economic advisor, one foreign policy advisor, something like that. And my second question is, you probably hear my accent, I'm German. Uh, I was wondering whether you see any similarities with Angela Merkel. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody, any other woman want to put a question or comment? Okay, we'll go to the middle. Then I'm going to start with you in the next round, sir. Um, you said that you anticipate um, Clinton. Your name. Oh, my name's Alexandra. I'm from California. And um, you said that you anticipate Clinton, were she to run in 2016, that she would really embrace her um, feminine feminine identity more than she did in 20 or in um, 2008. Do you think that this would merely be kind of a election strategy or something that she would um, continue to do throughout her presidency? Yeah. Um, 
First of all, is, is, is America ready for a, for a female president of, of the U.S.? Um, you know, I find it very difficult to believe that they wouldn't be. Not only, I mean, apart from her many other advantages, in some respects, she's now a grandmother. Grandmothers are less threatening, you know. Than, than <laughs> there was a wonderful moment when, when she came back on, on her plane, and they were playing a movie, you know, to relax on the way back from some dreadful meeting. And the, the, the one of the main characters in the on the, in the movie said, "Never trust a woman in a pantsuit." You know, the world can't stand any more Hillary Clinton. And she fell about laughing, as did her, her entourage. Um, I, I do think, you know, that, a, that, she, that a, a female can get elected as president of the United States. I really do, but I may be wrong. Uh, on Hillary Land, I mean, you know, her, her entourage call themselves Hillary Land, and they have a lapel button which says Hillary Land. And if you join Hillary Land, the first thing you do is you swear an oath of omerta. You know, it's like the mafia. You never, ever, ever tell any stories. You know, you don't leak. Uh, unlike you know all of Clinton's domestic advisers leaking like crazy, Hillary Land never leaks. Now, the, as for Angela Merkel, you will find in this book a picture of Hillary standing next to Angela Merkel, uh, laughing her head off because they're both in pantsuits, and there's there's, there's in in Bild, the German you know paper, they've cropped the heads off the two of them and asked them to guess which is which, you know, which is Hillary and which is which is Merkel. Now she gets on she gets on quite well with Merkel, except that she very foolishly said to Merkel, You must ease up, you know, don't be so mean to these these feckless, you know, southern Europeans. You you ought to let them reflate their economies. In response to which she got absolutely nowhere. And as she said, it wasn't entirely surprising surprising as Merkel is carrying Europe on her shoulders. Um, so the, you know, I think on, on, the, on the female thing, yes, uh, this time she, she won't campaign as a, you know, as a female president or whatever it is, but she will say, yes, you know, it absolutely is time you know, to, to put a stop to this nonsense whereby grandfathers can get into the White House, but grandmothers can't. And, you know, I, I don't think that will play against her personally, but maybe I'm optimistic about that. She will always pursue gender equality issues, She's, women's rights. She, she made a famous speech in Beijing, actually. Good for her. Uh, there was a conference unwisely organized by the Chinese about women, which Hillary descended on. And she made this crashing speech about women's rights or human rights, you know, full stop, etc. It was censored by the Chinese at the time, uh, but she was thrilled to be told that somebody went into a bookshop in Beijing not long ago, and there was a recording of her speech in the Beijing bookshop. So, you know, it got a, it got a huge reception among women in China. Good for her. Okay. Thank you. I promised I'd come to you first, sir. Yes, hi, uh, Tony Gaspel. I, I am English, but I've lived and worked in the United States. And I must say, I am appalled by how polarized the politics are in the United States at the moment. And it may well be that uh, uh, Hillary Clinton does get elected as uh, prime minister, but probably because the Republicans are incapable of putting a, uh, a credible candidate up against her based on their current record. Andrew, uh, what do you make of the assertions that she's only staying in as a potential candidate to uh, maintain her profile and maintain the fees that she charges for her um, speeches? <laughs> okay. um, yes, please. Thank you. My name's Cameron. Um, my question is um, really about Bill Clinton. What kind of a first man do you think he will be and is America ready for him as uh, <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> okay. On 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 polarisation. I mean, you know, Clinton uh, did overcome. I mean, was Clinton dealing with Congress was somebody who was prepared to you know really make huge efforts to get NAFTA through. First of all, by convincing his own colleagues to 
past NAFTA, and secondly, getting enough moderate Republicans to help do it as well. She will try to do that, and she'll try much harder than Obama does, because Obama does tend to lecture them, you know, and you know, that, that, generally speaking, doesn't hasn't helped. Um, now, on, on um, you know, is she just maintaining her prof- profile and earning fees? If you, if you had a chance, you know, a sporting chance of becoming president of the United States, you would be doing more than maintaining your profile and earning fees. She worked very hard for all these Democratic candidates. You know, she's, she's done that not just in the midterm elections, but all the way along, because she wants their support for a run at the presidency. And as I said, she's running now. You know, it, she might decide to stop running. But she will only do that if, 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 the, if, the, if the doctors say, you know, it's too dangerous for you, and if her daughter says it's too dangerous for her. The person closest to her is her daughter. Now, it's, it's a very good question about what sort of a, of a first husband... Uh, Bill would turn out to be, but of course he would get special missions. He would be sent off to funerals. Uh, he'd be sent off to go and he actually was sent off to rescue two ladies from North Korea, which he did, you know, and so on. He'd, he'd be quite, he'd be very useful. And the balance of power in that relationship is now the other way around, uh, which is one reason why she's a sort of much more her own person, self-evidently, than she was. I don't want to sort of keep you all here indefinitely so um, I'd just like to say that thank you all very much indeed for coming and I have enjoyed the questions you've, you've asked very much so thank you all Bye.